Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode 89, The Art of Pairing with Jen Mason. Hi, my name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. This is kind of weird because we're (laughs) sitting about three feet apart for once instead of in two different houses, and I keep thinking you're going to make a funny face or something. Well, you know, sometimes we do it on Skype and we can see each other's faces, so it's not, it's not that, oh, okay, it's not that different. I'm on guard, You're I just on, want okay. you to know. It's less likely I'd make a face and reach across the room and grab your nose or something, but yes. <laughs> so, we are doing this all together because this is a very extra special podcast this week um, because I don't know if you know this, but this is not the only podcast that I do. Uh, so I do another podcast, which is called The Curdcast, and if you're wondering what The Curdcast is, why I am so happy to tell you all about it. So, curd, what is a curd? Well, of course, have you, you know, Little Miss Muffet eating her curds and whey, which we all know was probably cottage cheese. Uh, but if you pack those curds together, strain them, age them, they taste so good because they're cheese. So, I do this super fun podcast with my friend Jen Mason called The Curdcast because she owns a company in Brookline, a store called Curds & Co. And she has this really cool thing called a curd box. What is a curd box? You guys have so many questions and I'm so happy to answer all of them. So the curd box is a monthly subscription box and in it you get three different cheeses and three items that pair with the cheeses. And then Jen and I eat very noisily. on air the cheese and the pairings and she speaks from a place of knowledge and I speak from a place of um, ignorance and hunger and we have a you know sort of dynamic conversation about the cheese what it tastes like what we like what we don't like what it reminds us of we try to keep it very appropriate for the most part it is a business after all but it's a lot of fun if you've never listened to the Curdcast, and we thought we would bring some of that yummy cheese eating goodness to you today as well as talking about uh, what Jen's store does which really is all about pairing. So welcome, Jen Mason. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad that you're here too, because now we can sing, sing all the songs. <laughs> um, but what I was going to say is, so just to give a brief bio, Jen actually has been a guest on the Adventures in Arting podcast. It was probably several years ago, like yeah. three years ago. It maybe, was at even? least three years ago. Yeah. So Jen used to be the uh, is the former editor in chief of Cloth Paper Scissors magazine. Um, and a longtime artist, longtime art supporter. All the things. All the things. All the art things. All the things. So she is my go-to person when I say, how do I do this? And she's like, this is how you do it. And she actually <laughs> has a degree, an art degree. Am I, I correct? I do. I I actually am a legit artist. Uh, I think it was really hard. My husband studied. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Unlike, I, not say, unlike you. I mean, like. Unlike like Picasso, who doesn't have a degree from an art college. So, so my husband and I both went to the University of Michigan, and he went to engineering, the engineering school, and I went to the art school. And I always thought it was weird because we graduated about the same time, and he said he was an engineer when he left. And every time I would tell people I was an artist, I would stop, start laughing. I would just laugh hysterically. Um, this is also why I can't do yoga, by the way, because I also start laughing when I do yoga. But uh, <laughs> at yourself or at other people? Um, both, both. I can't take the quiet. Um, and so I thought it was. It took me so long to like really say like you're a legit artist. Artist. Not only do I make art, but I actually studied it, and somebody you know gave me a diploma that said I'm 
legit. I, you don't have to have a diploma. I would actually say I've learned so much more about art through my life since I've been 20. Mm. And I'm going on 48 this year. So I've spent more time taking what I learned, taking how I learned. Actually, I think that would be the biggest thing. I took how I learned and then I kept learning after school. So um I think so, that is yeah. part of what college is supposed to teach you, though, is like how to think, how to learn, exactly. how to be curious, how to investigate, you know. And so it sort of doesn't matter what your degree is in that sense because you're supposed to sort of learn about thinking. But more importantly, I love that point about, of course, Matt called himself an engineer yeah. from day one. That's what he is. Yes. But it's like, I get that. You have a degree in something and it somehow it feels illegitimate. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, is he studied aerospace engineering, so we do say it takes a rocket scientist to empty the dishwasher at our house. Mm. It's a very tough job. Well, I mean, as a side <laughs> note, I find it interesting that he can't cook because I feel like right. that he that's sort of like a chemi- you know, chemistry or like it should be kind of an engineering activity, shouldn't yeah. it? I think when he has a recipe and we have everything, he can do it. When he has to find a replacement for something or um, work... Uh, sort of improv he can't do um, mm. and he doesn't enjoy it because right. I think um, probably because I'm picking at him from, <laughs> from the other so side of the room instead of a can't cook maybe it's a won't cook oh yeah he will he would never let us starve and he cooks for our kids and he's got some staples he can he can cook I, he cooks a lot if I make it simple or uh, or he has to but he never enjoys it so he doesn't prefer to cook but he's a he he's never once in our 20 some years together ever said what's for dinner ever he might say what do you think about dinner what should we do but he he's never actually like we both know i'm going to be the one to cook dinner but he's never actually ever inferred that that's good, he's a good he's a good guy that is. but we do infer that he will do the dishes and as a side note, if you would like to hear from Matt Mason directly, there is a Curdcast that features both Matt and Steve. I think it was our special, yeah, <laughs> special four-person <laughs> double date edition of a Curdcast. It was that was fun. We should do yeah, it again. That we was should, super like, fun. Maybe every six months, right? Well, especially because they have very different palettes than we do. They very much do, and um, you know, they come to it from different life experiences too. So it's fun to see. Like Steve really um, was kind of amazed that he liked what he ended up like. I was amazed that Steve liked what he liked. Right, because he's a super picky eater. He's super picky, but I think um, I think it was great for me to see, like, what we're doing, this art of pairing, actually works. And for him to see, like, there might be ways for him to add to his food vocabulary if we just pair the right things for him. Right, because one of the things I've learned from you, and I think we'll talk about this a lot today, is that you can completely change the flavor mm-hmm. of something depending on what you pair it with, which is not unlike yeah. when we talk about color and painting, and I tell people all the time, if you love blue, you have to love orange, because we will never <laughs> see the blue if yeah. you don't use the orange. And I think the same thing is true with flavor, right? Mm-hmm. So before I get too far, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about sort of um, your journey from artist yeah. and art mogul and, you know, all that kind of stuff into how did you get how did you get to cheese, Jen? From A to B. All right. Um, from A to C. A to- <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, so you and I used to work together in the art world and um, had done a lot in publishing and I think... Um, I think pretty much sadly because of the passing of my father and father-in-law, I really started thinking, you know, life is too short. And I felt like I had these like, had big ideas in me. And, um, and Matt and I always called it stepping off the ledge. Like 
I kept saying, you're never going to step off the ledge, which to us meant like starting our own business together or doing something interesting like that. And um, so I took a little step off a short ledge <laughs> and decided to leave publishing. I, you know, I graduated from high school and went to college two weeks later. I graduated from college in three years with a four-year degree. I immediately, you know, moved to the East Coast and started working. And I just like, I never got that backpacking across Europe trip. I never even got my my senior summer vacation. I mean, I've taken vacations and stuff, but I just jumped into things. Um, I wrote six books and I became an um, editor-in-chief and I was just like, okay, what do I really want to do? So I left without knowing, but I had the weirdest skill set. Like you and I had done television together. I had done video production. I had done books and online education and e-commerce. And like besides becoming what I already was, which was another editor-in-chief, what, what would that be? So I took some time for introspection and ended up at a place called the Startup Institute, which was like a little eight-week boot camp for people who wanted to get jobs in startup, not actually to start their own companies. But I knew I was going to start my own company at some point, and I was going to have to hire these people. So I thought, I'm going to go hang out with them for eight weeks, learn some stuff. I love learning. I, I will learn. I will go to class about almost anything. Um, and I made a network of people because I hadn't worked in the city. So I lived just outside of Boston. I was like within walking distance to Boston proper. So built this big network, learned things like... You know, nobody has the map on how to get to something that's never been done before. So you just have to like put on your big girl pants and figure it out. And it's okay that you're going to make like 200 mistakes. And I just learned to give myself some permission to experiment. That is the thing, by the way, that I love about startups that I think mm -hmm. is not necessarily a part of sort of normal culture. The idea of failure is actually a banner of success. Yeah. And people who work at startups all the time talk about, oh, how many startups have you been in? It's like, oh, dude, I've been in six or I've been in eight. It's yeah. like, that's a thing. How many failed startups have you been yeah. in is not a point of like embarrassment. It's like a point of pride. Yeah. I mean, the idea is if you don't fail at something, you aren't trying hard enough, you aren't pushing the limits. Well, you weren't thinking of an idea that's totally outrageous or impractical or out, out thinking out of the box somehow. And I think the same thing has to be true in so many things we pursue, particularly in art, and you know mm -hmm. this from years and years, which is you have to try the crazy things. You have yeah. to try the things that seem like they're not going to be a good idea. You have to. You have to. That's actually something that's been imported to other countries <clears throat> from America. The startup culture of failure is not mm -hmm. a bad thing because in some other countries, failure is considered a gigantic disgrace. I'm saying like never Japan, for right. example. So that has been a cultural change mm -hmm. for some people who have wanted to do startups but live in a culture in which, you know, a failure is really a failure. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and you don't try anything for fear of the failure. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so I did this little stint at Startup Institute and from there ended up as a consultant and actually found a job I could use a lot of those skills in at a, um, it's a consumer research agency is the best way to explain it, called C-Space. Most of the company helped enterprise companies like Bose and Google and Blue Cross Blue Shield and McDonald's and L'Oreal talk to their customers. So instead of making decisions with a whole bunch of wealthy white men around um, a board table, you know, around a conference table, they would go and listen to the customers and ask them. And our job was to 
translate the customer back into boardroom speak. So this is really them. interesting because you and I are together on the Museum of Fine Arts board. Yeah. And they have just had a company like Safe Space it's exactly come the same in thing, yeah. and give them a report on what their members <clears throat> want from their memberships, et cetera, yeah. which has been really interesting because it's not necessarily what the museum staff mm-hmm. has in mind or even, I would say, what some people on the boards mm-hmm. of the museum feel like is proper. So it does come back to this question of like, who's making the choices and how right. much, when you get the feedback, do you want to listen to it yeah. if you disagree with it. Well, and my job was to, so I had a weird job in this company, which was to find creative ways to give the good news, bad news, interesting news back to the enterprise company. And, you know, I always had this sort of um, mantra of making sure it was memorable. So, like, I want them to learn this, but I want them to remember it six months from now or else why bother paying us the big bucks to do it. I wanted something that was actionable, like, you know, somebody died, you can't do much about, but somebody, people keep getting sick or can't make an appointment or can't get in or can never find the product, they can fix that. And something that was compelling, that they wanted to fix it. So it was really interesting because, I mean, we do this too, right? We get defensive when somebody Mm -hmm. tells you something isn't working. And what I would have to do is find creative ways to bypass their defensive mechanism mm-hmm. and make them feel empathy to want to do it. Not be like, oh, that's, a, that, oh, that's only that one customer that said that. And, and say instead, wow, I, that's horrible. And I actually know how to fix that and make them fix it, uh, make them want to go fix it. Um, and we did this through really interesting, weird things. We built um, bedrooms of the core customers um, I saw you use your art skills actually a lot all the in time. that job. Yeah. It was crazy. Like yeah. I, you were on your iPad all the time drawing mm-hmm. sketches and storyboards. All the time. Yeah, we did little videos. We'd go in and I, I mean, I'd use all the skills. I did video production. I'd go in and interview people and we'd create these really compelling video stories. Um, I'd go into customers' homes and hang out with their families and their kids while they made dinner. Um, we made one of the interesting um, projects we did was a bank wanted their marketing team to better understand their diversity segments so that they could create really good products for them. And if you think about it, different diversity segments are going to need different things. And this included not just um, ethnicity, but also disability. So it was like, you know, what does the person who, you know, is wheelchair bound do? What do vets so veterans um, need, what do older people, so it was really interesting. And so for that, we actually built um, wallets. And if you opened the wallet and you looked at the assets in the wallet, each thing in there represented some insight we had found about out about this particular group. So that's your memorable. That's the memorable. And also... And that's How crafty, weird is it? It's crafty. Oh my gosh! So you we actually made we made fake credit wallets. cards. Oh, we made you know gym memberships because this is a person who cares about their health. You know there was an even interesting like one group, two groups had have a um, religious sort of tilt to their personality, but one is more about tithing, and so they had a tithing card in there. One was more, uh, one was more like, this is who I am, and one is more, this is my community. And how do we represent that in a wallet? Um, you know, we put the little I voted sticker in the veterans, you know, wallet, and, um, and you know, this, one of the groups, really, they have a credit card, but they try not to use it, so we put a rubber band around that credit card because, you know, it was a mental thing to, like, stop and think before I use this kind of thing. Um, but the interesting thing is, is a wallet is really 
going through somebody's wallet is personal. It's really personable. And it's like, so talk about memorable. You're not just like, oh, that's so cool that they made fake credit cards. That was pretty cool. Um, and receipts and stuff like that. But also, like, I'm going through somebody's, like, it's, it's disruptive. It also makes it a real person, too. There's mm-hmm. something about, like, oh, this is, like, an actual person, yeah. not, like, a number on a board. It's not just yeah. another spreadsheet. Yeah. I mean, I will say, this is a complete side note, but I'm well known <laughs> for my um, tangents, which is, I've been thinking, actually, I went, Mom and I went on a tour at Widener Library at Harvard this week, and they were taking us through, like, their conservation wings. And I can tell you that the part of the tour that everybody got the most excited about was the part where they were physically dealing with the books. And mm-hmm. they were, there was a woman who was binding a book. There was, you know, somebody who was busy preserving pages and somebody else was showing how you make new covers for the mm-hmm. books. And like the things that were craft, yeah, the things that were craft were the places that people had the most questions, were the yeah. most interested, wanted to stay forever. Whereas on the rest of the tour, which a lot of it was like pretty things to look at or in intellectually interesting things mm-hmm. and stuff like that, people were sort of less interested in it. I think there is something for all of us, even though everyone I meet on an airplane who I tell what I do immediately says to me that they're not creative, uh-huh. <laughs> which makes me roll my eyes always because yeah. I'm like, you are creative. You just, you know, have yep. been taught somehow that it's like bad to think that anyway, regardless. Right. So I, uh, I think that there's something in all of us we like craft. We're drawn mm-hmm. to it. We want to do it. We may feel scared of it or intimidated mm-hmm. by it. And I think when you give people tangible things like that, yeah. I mean, I think that's amazing. Yeah. And I think it's funny how I bet no one in that corporate culture is like, oh, we're crafting. Right. You know, or we call themselves a crafter or say, oh, I got this crafted thing. Yeah. But it is. Yeah. It's, it, was, it was the best job. We pre- presented some findings uh, there's a big event and we found a way to make, you know, um, the Viewmaster mm-hmm. um, machines. So we found a way to get custom Viewmaster quotes made. And we actually made funny memes about the findings. And so we placed those all over like their sort of corporate eating area. So people would just sit down and like look through them. Um, but it was super really fun. fun. It was super so creative. So if that was the best job ever, mm-hmm. why did you leave? So why did I leave? Um... So I think the biggest issue was this was a really new thing for this company to be doing, to be making these big projects. Um, what we saw at the MFA was what we normally did, which were PowerPoints and stuff. And we were still, you know, we were still having a hard time selling companies on listening to the customer voice just flat out the, to then add another whole budget on like, and we can make this more interesting than a PowerPoint was difficult at one point um and they they did have an honest talk with me and say i don't know we we don't know if we're going to have enough business to keep you here and we love you but we don't know if this is going to work so they just put me on notice for a couple months like let's just come back and revisit it well my brain started going what is next um i sing more in your podcast (laughs) We you never sing, more sing on, on my podcast. I never I do. You sing on my podcast. You see, it's when you're the guest it's that so the singing fun. comes out everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, you're eating on the podcast. That doesn't seem that to doesn't stop, stop me. me. No, I, no, she I sings sing all about cheese, cheese. Yes, she does a lot of singing. So um, I had started thinking, and two months later, they're like, you're right, we have enough work for you. And I was like, too late, I have an idea. <laughs> um, and basically, I was looking for something I could disrupt Uh, And the best way I can explain it to people in the business world, I don't know if anybody listening has been through an acquisition, like a business acquisition, but ideally what you do and what what my old publishing job would do is find, they they had a lot of things figured out, 
um, how we do newsletters, how we do emails, how we talk to our customers, how we sell them products. And then they would find another little tiny magazine who didn't know how to do those things. And they would bring them into the fold. And immediately by just teaching them what they had already learned, that company would become much more successful. They would make more money. We would make more money. So this sort of acquisition of like, who isn't doing the right stuff yet and what can I do? So that was the mentality. But I had to find something that would interest me because I have a very short attention span. Um, and because you made me throw myself a birthday party. <laughs> Which, by the way, was one of the best birthday parties I've ever been to. So yeah. I'm going to totally describe your birthday party okay. from my okay. perspective. Yeah, I want to hear it. So, first of all, Jen took her house, which is a great house for entertaining. Mm. The first floor is super open, and she had these long tables, and we, there were a whole bunch of us. There were a ton of us there. And what she had done is she had made these incredible cheese boards for mm. everybody. And actually, you got to take home your cheese board, which was such a nice treat. It's a beautiful wood board. I still have mine. I serve <laughs> things on it. Um, and, and each of us had a team member. We were assigned, randomly assigned that we had to present together, right, mm -hmm. some portion of the cheese board, one of the, um, there were wine pairings with every mm -hmm. cheese. I mean, it was, it was insane and amazing. And so it like, it became interactive because everybody had to talk and you were talking about it. And it was like, it was such a wonderful moment of connection because I felt like if I had gone to a regular birthday party, I probably would have talked to like a couple people mm -hmm. that were there, but I got like a real sense of everybody in the room yeah. because of that. It was a wonderful like just evening of really connecting with other people and joining and also like just loving food. Yeah. Who doesn't, if you don't love food, <laughs> Not stop a good listening. Party. Stop listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was so much fun. It was my favorite birthday party I've ever been to and of mine. Um, and it, I had, I feel like I had nothing to do with it except I invited all the right people. Um, everybody presented. There was a contest. There, there was a prize for the best presentation. So we got, we've got presentations in Yiddish and in Irish brogue and interpretive dance. And somebody acted out a, like an SNL skit. And it was, I like, I'm surprised I didn't wet my pants like seven times that night because I laughed so hard all night. And yeah, I did a lot of work to prep it, but then every, then the party just took over itself. It was the most, for an introvert, and I loved all those people, so I could hang out with all those people anyways, but for an introvert to be the center of attention, that was the most comfortable party I'd ever been at. It was the most I had ever laughed. Um, it was really great. But I like had this idea. I was like, that was so much fun, but it was really content, right? So we made little cards. It was very much crafting in there. Used my scan and cut, um, made yeah. place cards. And, um, and I was like, wow, how would I replicate this? And then the wheel started turning. I was like, well, I can't have a cheese thing without having a cheese store. And I then will I was like, say, by the way, as a side note, we did yes. eat one of the worst things I've ever eaten in my whole life yep. at oh, your birthday party. Yes. But I just want to point out that that is part Ooh. of actually the fun yes. of trying things, <laughs> which I think is actually a huge part of what you do in your business now, yeah. too. Yeah. You have to say what it was. <sighs> it was chestnut honey. Hey, Why is nothing it so sounds terrible? bad about no, that, right? Chestnut, it's honey, I it's like chestnuts. honey. I like. We yeah. all, but I would say we all. <laughs> what was yeah. wrong with it? Just you. It tasted rotten. There's it tasted no like other... my grandmother's attic. It yes. was just like it, it was stale. Like Are you sure it wasn't? So that's spoiled? what we all said. We were like, "Is it spoiled?" Is yeah. It good? So it... I've tried chestnut honey since then, just to find out and report back. <laughs> and and I feel like every awful? like four months, like oh, I tried another one. That is the worst one I've ever had. And so it could have been a bad batch. Um, of chestnuts. Or just, yeah, it, it's, but it was. 
It was it, like durian. It was like eating feet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was not good. And I've had it again, and they're not as bad, but it's like my least favorite so of the honeys. I'll never forget, because Steve is such a picky eater. <laughs> oh, and this was fairly early in our dating that very we went early. to your birthday. Yeah. It was very early, in fact. And he, I remember, he loves honey, so he like loaded oh, up no. this honey, <laughs> and then his face just oh, dropped. And he is like man. such a polite guy; you knew he was never gonna spit it out, but he was like choking it down, <laughs> chugging like water, trying to. He was like, he was like, and he looks at me because I think somebody was talking at the time, and he was like, "That is not good." And it was, it so was not good. It was not. It was Gee. not good. But I it was a bad thing. That's what you need. Yeah. You need video right. it's like when they give the baby the lemon slice for oh, yeah. the first time yeah right steve could have been a good meme for a while yeah. yeah anyway so i don't want to interrupt you yeah, anymore yeah. but i will but yeah so, anyways i just had to open a cheese now, store i i actually want to find some and taste oh, it oh okay. because all right i'll find just, you some. Uh, not a lot sour milk <laughs> i would say tiny, tiny my drop. suggestion for a replacement for chestnut honey if you've tried chestnut honey and you don't like it well one stop eating it but um home oak honey spelled H-O-L-M, is a, uh, it's a Spanish honey. It's made from holm oaks, which have a, an oak leaf sort of shape leaf, but they're all little tiny. Like, think of yeah. them like one-third the size. Um, I'm sure it's because of the weather there. And But their acorns are like twice as long, but the same skinniness, so okay. and they're bright green. Um, and so they're like entirely different shape. But anyways, that honey's got that darkness look to it and it's got all the warmth of, you know, it's sort of like think of syrups and you have like this dark and different grades of syrup. It's like the dark syrup. I actually like a light syrup, but it's like that double dark eight, whatever. Um, but it, it doesn't taste like your grandma's attic or feet or durian or anything. <laughs> it's, it's like what I hoped chestnut honey would taste like. It's one of my favorite honeys because I never have to eat chestnut honey again. <laughs> You have so much to look forward to if you haven't right. tried chestnut honey. Um, I hope nobody out there is a chestnut honey maker. If you are, I'm sorry. Um, okay, so... Well, if so, you are, you're a bee. That's true, too. Right. That's true. Um, sorry to all the bees. So you started this store, and I yeah. know at some point, um, if anybody's been in the store, one of my favorite parts about it is there's this huge mural, which you painted mm -hmm. on the wall. Yeah. Which, again, let's talk about the intersection of art and cheese. Um, but will you tell people what the mural is? Yeah. So um, this is a great thing where I was taking skills that I'd learned at other jobs. So really simplifying a story. If I could, every there are words and images on the on this diagram that is how different cheeses are made. If I could have made it all only images, I would have. But it's really hard to come up with an image for coagulation. <laughs> what is the icon for that? I came up with one, but um, what I wanted to do is simplify it, and it, it sits over the back wall of our store, and we have a school. We're a fine cheese shop and school, so we do classes and events and fun stuff, and it's handy because somebody inevitably asks us, how is this different from this? And I can point to the wall. Um, and so it starts with milk, right? So there's a big circle that starts with milk, and it says, you know, goat, cow, sheep, buffalo. And then it looks like a subway map that goes off of that, all different colors. No There's, camel, no yak. So um, it, you can. Those aren't ones we carry. You can, by the way, make milk from any ruminant. So any animal that has a multi-chamber stomach is the... So humans can't make milk, or can't make cheese, sorry. Um, I was like, humans can't make milk. They, they can't make milk. Can't make they can't make cheese. cheese. Um, but um, so yes, you can have camel, donkey, moose, elk, 
Mm. Lots of different things. Donkey. Yes. There's go donkey with your chest. Yes, there honey. is. There is. Oh. Yeah. Have you tried that? No, I haven't. I've tried. I've had yak cheese from Tibet. Um, we've had so camel we've milk. We've had camel milk chocolate, chocolate. which were, mm, milk. were also in my in the chestnut, chestnut honey honey. category. In my opinion, I wonder if you have them but. as a pairing. If they're both delicious, <laughs> it could be. It could be. Uh, but what I was gonna say is, my mom <laughs> did this thing with that really uh, traumatized us as children, oh, no. which was the festival of foreign fruits. In oh, which, you mentioned yes, I've this. mentioned it so many times because it traumatized me as a child. Uh, which she brought home, of course, all these fruits right. that you know, we didn't know what they like were the or the how fingers, to eat them, the boot, and like exactly the everything hands. weird. Yeah, and she made us eat them all. Nice, right? And I was like. I made you taste I'm sorry. them she all. Made us taste them <laughs> it's not all. like I was jamming it down your throat. Um, and Mostly. then, but what I was gonna say is, I feel like maybe we need to have the festival of, oh. of like you know non-traditional cheeses, and it would be like all those weird yeah. cheeses, and you would be like, "There's a reason people don't eat cheese." <laughs> Which is my theory on, like, why people don't eat geese anymore. If geese tasted delicious, we would still eat it. Yeah, because they're everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, anyway, so, the so there's starts a, at milk. So it starts at milk, and it goes through. And making cheese is a fairly simple process. You start with milk. You add cultures. If you're in the right area of the world, cultures come in through the air. There's your spores and, and you know, the dust. Like, you want dust your cheese. But it's, like, what is in the air at the cheese makers. Um, that's why Swiss cheese will taste different from Italian cheese. I was going to say, it's Italian like Alp cheese. cheese has yeah, different air. Exactly. Than, and they yeah. do it these days. They do put cultures in there. They have, like, it's a little recipe. It is so little. It's like, you can't see my hands, but I'm pinching my fingers together. You'll have a big vat of milk, and you'll have, like, you'll have, it's usually, like, on a little um, piece of wax paper, and they open it up, and they dump it in, and you're like, that's it? And, and that's what, that's the magic. That's the recipe that will make that milk. Which happens to come from the, whatever their specific cows are and all that stuff. Um, but then it's still milk. So cheese is when milk turns into a solid. So then you have to add something that um, makes it coagulate. So I've got a little sign on that. And and sort of everything goes through those things. Is this the rennet thing? This is the rennet, yeah. Okay, because sometimes on the curd cast we've yeah. talked about... So one of the things, again, I love is Jen speaks from a place of knowledge. And I don't totally understand... So she talked a lot about like vegetable rennet versus animal rennet because yeah. people come in and ask for is it vegan cheese or vegetarian mm -hmm. cheese or yep. something like that yep. where they're not using. And I was like, how can cheese not come from animals? And the answer is in the rennet. So um, right? all cheese comes from animals and can never be vegan. A vegan cheese would be made from cashews. Yes. Okay. But it, you can be vegetarian. So oh, okay. if you use an animal, usually a rennet, a traditional rennet, um, been used for like how many ever years, thousands and thousands of years, comes from the lining of a ruminant's stomach. Most usually it's a cow, sometimes goat or sheep if they're making cow or sheep. Um, and again, at this point in time, somebody makes the ruminant somewhere else and you buy it and it's frozen, I think, or refrigerated. And, and again, tiny little bit. Um, but they can use a thistle now. There's a special thistle that you can use that will coagulate the, the uh, milk. And there's a microbial um, um, rennet that will also do it. Does um, it change the taste? So I personally can't tell the difference. But some people for the thistle, they'll say the cheese like maybe makes the back of their throat. It's just a little like... Enough, like, if they've had a whole lot of the cheese, they notice. So some people, like, have, I don't want to say it's an allergic reaction because they're not. But they have a sensitivity. Bad, a sensitivity to it. Um, I think probably no more than, like, people who eat spinach and can taste tin. They can taste the thistle, right? Um, I 
I can't taste, that's not something, I have a really high bitter taste, I can taste a bitter cheese like a mile away, but I can't taste the difference in the rennet. Um, and then what comes after that is now all the cheeses spin off from there and they become anything from brie or mozzarella or ricotta to um, Swiss cheese or blue cheese. Um, and, uh, and so essentially, without getting into too much detail, that's the, the picture. But when you see it up on the wall, you can follow the red line or the yellow line or the blue line. All of a sudden it makes sense because these two cheeses go all the way along and then one of them gets cooked and they split off. Right, because I was going to say, like, you've also done a really good job of dividing cheeses into categories mm -hmm. where you're like, these are, you know, stinky, these are soft, mm -hmm. these are whatever it yep. is. And so you get to see, like, oh, these cheeses used to be together. Mm -hmm. And speaking of things that used to be together, you yes. actually brought with you today. I did. Two cheeses, which... And your mom hasn't eaten them. Which is actually, they're, it's the same cheese, right? But different. Yeah. So this is um, two cheeses that were in our March box, which was called Sheepus, our curd box. Um, we had three sheep's milk cheese in it, but I thought for today, um, I would bring these two because these are made by the same producer, the same recipe. One is just four months old and one is 18 months old. And for us in the box, like we don't want to be preachy. We want you to enjoy your box of cheese. We know most of our people are eating it for dinner and it's a highlight of their month and they're so excited. They look forward to it. Like the minute we send out the email that their box is ready, they're in there and they're picking it up or they're, you know, waiting for it to arrive on their doorstep. And, um, but you know, when we can teach them something, so our January box was all about Alpine cheeses and somebody said, oh, these were very similar. And somebody else was like, wow, they were so different, but they were the same cheese. And I was like, you both learn, both of those people learned something. Um, and, uh, and now when they go to the store, if they like that box a lot, they can ask what Alpine's like, they now know a term they can go use. Right. So make I cheese didn't intimidating. understand cheese aging. And there are yes. two things that have happened with you that have taught me about cheese aging. So the first is this, which is two Manchegos, mm -hmm. which are like a year apart in age, mm -hmm. right? 14 months. Yep. Yeah. 14 months apart in age. And they taste like two different cheeses. That's A. Yep. But B, I remember in your store we had an event for the mm -hmm. museum, yep. which was about the art of pairing. Mm -hmm. And you had, it was the Black Betty, mm -hmm. which was the same as this other cheese. Yep. And they were aged differently. And I literally was like, liar. Yeah. These are not, this is not the same cheese. Yeah. It's differently aged because like the texture was different. The flavor was different. It was just, it seemed unbelievable yeah. that it could be the same yeah. thing. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, you don't have to do much to change cheese to a different something. Um, if you could bought just one aged. of the younger ones and just kept it in your refrigerator. I asked that too. For ask that great question. Eight months. Would I end up with something close to what the aged one is? Um, like? It would be very similar in texture. This And this would be like if you bought a whole wheel. Once you cut mm -hmm. it, you're giving it more surface area. You know, it's got sort of that protective um, oiled mm -hmm. finish for Manchego in particular. Um, but you can age cheese. It's not going to do a lot in a in a very cold refrigerator. There you are... need your own little home cheese cave yeah. is what she said. Yeah, There's a, there is a cheese... I think it's called a basement and I have you one. You do that as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, people do let's make cheese Let's just be clear. I'm not eating the moldy cheese that you pull out of the basement. <laughs> But anyway, okay, so let's just try this. So okay. which is the young one and which is the old so one? So the young one is the lighter colored one. Okay. Because um, essentially it is still moister because it's not as old. As as cheese ages, it'll mm, get harder. Good. Uh, the flavor will get more compact and more compact. Oh, you're about to drop the cheese in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs>
A miss is as good as a mile. I mm. caught it. So it has a really nice mouthfeel mm-hmm. where it makes your like, mouthfeel super full. Squishy it is. It's very kind of little pudgy. But it almost has like open areas, not like mm-hmm. a Swiss does, but it feels like yep. it's not like solid and hard. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I really, when we tasted this one, we like really tasted like sour cream. Like I want this mm. on my baked potato. Totally. Yeah. I see that. This would be a really nice cheese to shred up. And it does also in a sandwich mm-hmm. just because it has that, or with an apple. Mm-hmm. It has a really full mouthfeel. And the tartness you, of an apple would be like so nice. With it would this. cut across it because it feels very thick mm-hmm. and very almost like decadent. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? A little salty. So sheep's milk cheeses. If you made the same cheese out of all the milks, I mean, one cheese with the cow milk, one cheese with the mm-hmm. cheese milk, but the same recipe, the sheep's milk cheese is going to be saltier. The cow's milk cheese will be creamier. And the goat's milk cheese will be more almost lemony, tangier, um, just by the nature of the milk. And if you drank all those milks, you would feel that too. Sheep's um, milk is fatter, um, fuller. Um, it takes less sheep's milk to make the same amount of cheese as it takes cow's milk. It's more like water in cow's milk. So when it's interesting because then when you're pairing, if you know those mm-hmm. things, and it's like, okay, this is a sheep's milk and I need to pair it. Mm-hmm. So I know that it's going to be salty. Mm-hmm. So I want to pair it maybe with something fresh, mm-hmm. right? To give it a lift. You think about anything you pair something salty with. Right. Um, so um, it could be, mm-hmm. and I would say maybe the more aged one because it's even more salty. Like I might do it with chocolate. I'm like a French fry and chocolate shake kind of girl. Um, M&M and potato chip. Sweet and salt is good, too. You know, Mm -hmm. if you've ever had, like, sweet and... Like, honey. Honey would be great with this. Yep. Maple syrup. So you think about the things you would normally pair with those flavor profiles. You brulee cheese at your store at an event I went to, and I was like, what? She just poured sugar on top of the cheese and then took out a torch and torched it, and the sugar melts on the cheese. It was insane. It was really, really good. But that had a little salt in it. I mean, the cheese had a little bit of a salty taste to it, but then we put the sugar on top, and then... You know, essentially made like creme brulee on the on the um, cheese, and you just what we do when we're pairing things is we look at things we eat every day mm-hmm. and see can we duplicate those two things that are already good friends. Those well, sweet I, and salty. And I do think that this is kind of like art in a lot of ways. Like I know that if I have a lot of hard lines for me to be satisfied, I need to then add some curves. Yes, like I exactly. need that contrast. Yes. Where some people would say, no, I like it to all be the same or I like right. to all have the same feeling. And I think it's the same thing as like when you're eating and you're mm-hmm. pairing to know whether you're a person who wants the right. contrast or whether you want to go all the way there. Like, So think know. about this. So when we so when we talk about pairings to our classes, whatever, we say, all right, so we alluded a little bit to this at the beginning, that um, you have two things you're going to eat together in this case. We'll talk in a second about looking at them together. But two things that you're going to eat together and... Um, you could like them. The ideal thing is you like them both, and when you eat them together, you love them both. Mm. Or maybe you love them both and you adore them both. Um, sometimes you don't like one thing as much, and you love the other thing, and when you eat them together, you like them both. So basically, you want them both to be elevated, but sometimes they'll go backwards. So sometimes you're like, I should not have a pickle with chocolate. Maybe you think you should, but when you have, you I like both of those things. <laughs> there you go. This is the thing I tortured my. Sixth grade class with. <laughs> we were told to make a product and bring it in, and I made chocolates that each had a pickle inside. <clears throat> My sixth grade class was very displeased with me yeah, that day. I liked them. I thought I, they were good. I thought they were good, too. Yeah. But the whole class was like, I'm going to kill you. Anyway. <laughs> but you like a pickle. Yes. You like chocolate. Maybe you don't like them together. 
Um, and then when you're also thinking about pairing things, you can go similar. So like things, so salty and more salty, sweet and more sweet. So if it's like one of our aged Goudas, which are almost um, like that Black Betty, it's almost like little caramel nuggets of cheese. You might want to also dip them into caramel sauce. Um, and so like things go together. Very similar purple. to like a monochromatic Burn or keeping green. all on the cool side or yeah. whatever. Um, and then opposites attract. Yeah. So using your blue and orange. Okay. So let's try the older okay. Manchego and see how we feel about that. Older, darker, harder. Yes. Mmm. Now this tastes more like um, Parmesan to me. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Mom? Yeah. The salt is more intense. Mm-hmm. The texture is very different. This is crumbly. Very much. Very much. What I found was interesting when I was in Spain last is that the manchego, you get, like they kept bringing me out cheese plates and I would ask them in my very poor uh, um, Spanish, uh, which is really bad because we were in Catalonia, so they didn't know what I was saying, but what is this cheese? And they would say it was manchego. I was like, this is not manchego. And then they'd tell me again, it was manchego. I'd be like, all right. And then I found out they eat it young in Spain. And then we eat it old here because by the time it gets here, uh, it's older. So this flavor profile is much more familiar to us. Usually at our store, we have a 12 to 14, 12 or 14 month. This 18 month is really old. This is about the oldest you can get it um, where it's meant to be this old. Um, and, um, and the four months, is not a usual thing in our stores, even though that's much, much closer to what they're eating in the place that it's made. Would you have thought that these were the same cheeses if we hadn't told you that, Mom? No. <clears throat> because they're so different in flavor and mm -hmm. texture, even in appearance. Mm -hmm. And even, and like, there's something about Color, the density, right. mm -hmm. the whole thing. Like, yeah, I would yeah. have assumed, so you could do a Manchego cheese board and it would be mm -hmm. the same cheese, just different ages. And people would be like, oh, look at this lovely cheeseburger with all these different cheeses. Yep. Do you like how my voice for everybody is somehow high-pitched? like that. Thank you. Thank <laughs> now you. they think there's somebody else singing <laughs> on the podcast. Our fourth guest. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So let's now talk a little bit about how you go, now that we know sort of mm -hmm. the basics of this, how do you go about putting together one of these curd boxes? Like, I, what is your I just want to say one but, thing because yeah. I have to confess. Okay. When you first said you were opening a business and it was going to be called Curds & Co. Yes. I thought, oh, that's a terrible name because it doesn't say cheese necessarily. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't say pairing because the co could also be and company. Right. Right. So now I get it. And Excellent. actually there's a whole lot more co. <laughs> there is. Than, and there is increasingly more co mm -hmm. in addition to yeah. the curds. And I really think that's where you're different. Yeah. other cheese stores and that's interesting you say that because we went to get our name trademarked and at first we were turned down they're like that is too generic like you could be curds and whey they let, let that one go curds and wine curds there's like a bunch of curds and companies curds and fill in the blanks and um, so they turned us down and they're like it's just co there's nothing about that i was like that is exactly who we are we're cheese and the things that pair with cheese we're cheese and cheese's company and then they're like, oh, we're sorry, you can have your trademark. That's great. Which is great. But it is like essentially the core. And, and you know, maybe I know that deep down and maybe like 90% of our customers don't. But I like I like smart things built on you know, reasons Because you actually, things. so you have a very interesting philosophy mm -hmm. about how you stock the store. So mm -hmm. maybe we should start there. Yes. Because I remember the first time that you took me to the fancy food show. Mm-hmm. In New York City at the yes. Javits, otherwise yes. known as the Eating Fest. Yeah, oh my gosh. 
And you warned me to stop eating the bread. Yeah, you have don't, to only eat the cheese. Don't eat anything on a cracker unless you're eating the cracker for tasting it. And it's not just cheese, because I got in oh, on no, one of these. It's, it's everything. everything you have never even dreamed could be eaten. It is. Is eaten. But anyway, what you said to me is what we're looking for is cheese, but it's the things that would pair with cheese. Mm -hmm. So, But you drew the line at pasta. Right. Which that was interesting. Yeah. So will you talk a little bit about your philosophy then, about what you sell in the store? Yeah. So, um, well, and it's interesting because just before I came here, we started talking about maybe we're going to have a little pantry shelf so people could like also stop by and pick up dinner. Um, but so we might actually start carrying pasta after two years of telling people we won't carry pasta. Yeah. But um, but flexibility. You I need like to it. have guardrails whenever you start anything, right? Yeah. Like I'm going to paint, and I'm setting up a studio, and I. Um, it's a small studio, so I can only paint eight by eight pictures because it's like literally a desk and a shelf and that's it. I can't paint eight foot by eight foot pictures here. Um, and I can't try in this space. Um, or I'm going to plant a garden, but I am not going to upkeep the annuals, so it's only going to be perennials. I'm not even going to look at the annuals at the store. It makes my decision so much easier. I just shopped in the perennial. Well, I was going to say, I'm renovating a Victorian home. Mm -hmm. It actually has eliminated an enormous amount right. of lighting and mm -hmm. fixtures and other choices because I'm like, it has to go with a Victorian yeah, home. exactly. Perfect example. So we really started with this idea of cheese and things that pair with cheese. So not salad dressing, not pasta, not pasta sauce. We weren't a market. Uh, because then where do you stop? Do you carry grapes? Do you carry, you know, milk? Do you carry yogurt? Do you know, carry, you know, where do you stop? And I think sometimes this, I've, I've done did a lot of research before we started, and like people end up being a sandwich shop a year yes. later. And I wanted to stay a cheese shop um, for better or for worse. It seems to be for better. But um, so really it was just my guardrails of that. And it was important because then when I talked to our customers, and I said, if it's on the shelves and not in the cheese case, it's meant to be eaten with cheese. So then they'd be like, why is there caramel corn? I'm like, oh, let me show you. That's really good with this blue cheese. Why is there maple coffee syrup? Raise your hand if you would pair caramel corn and blue cheese. I would now. Well, I know, but I can <laughs> hardly wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so it gave people permission to like look at the shelf and then go, okay, tell me how would you pair this one or where would this one go? And, and you know... Um, it was just an interesting way to approach it, I think. Um, and I love pairings. I mean, it's the like the cheese I got Steve to eat when he put Mike's hot honey on it, and then which kept is hilarious eating. because he hates hot things. And I he know. Really like some of those cheeses, and he doesn't like goat cheese. I know, but he, he mixed it all. together, and he was like, "Ooh, I want all of this." He went back for seconds and thirds. I was like, "He's not even going to finish the first bite," and he he did. Yeah. So um, so I love the magic of pairings, and I love um, it's like building little tiny recipes. Um, you also yeah. talked to me a lot about something that I think is important, which is about empowering people, yes. which I think has been a philosophy of yours. I mean, one of the reasons you were such a good editor of Cloth, Paper, Scissors, and one of the reasons that the magazine flourished under your, you know, benevolent rule um, well, was, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> well, no, is because I think you've always been about um, empowering people and about like getting, bringing people up to a higher standard, whether they want to be there or mm -hmm. not, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. I call it the Zentangle rule. But anyway, yes. that's a separate issue. Yes. Um, but what I was going to say is I think that you are doing the same in your store, which is you're saying to people, you don't need to eat uh, bad cheese or lesser cheese or feel intimidated mm -hmm. by by going into a store that just sells 
you know, cheese and pairings, like, right. you can understand about it. So yes. talk a little bit about, will you, because I know you do this in the curd box, too, mm-hmm. with your system of yeah. sort of explaining mm-hmm. to people so they really understand it. And this yeah. is a teaching philosophy because you've taught a lot, too. Yeah. yeah. But I think you and I share, which is that I want people to walk out of any class that I teach feeling like they can go home and mm-hmm. do it, not that they're going to recreate exactly. So, like, I think when people mm-hmm. go home from your cheese classes, they're yep. not like, I'm going to recreate exactly the pairing we had in class. They're like, I understand the logic yes. of why this works, and I can recreate it in another way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there were two really great, I mean, they really are great, um, Art of the Cheese Plate-like books that came out in the last two years, and I was really excited for them. And when I got them, I was disappointed, even though they are really great books. I thought it was going to be something different. So they just weren't what I was looking for, which is fine because now we're working on that, that book. Okay, right. um, which is like, this would make beautiful, beautiful cheese plates, but it'd be very difficult to make that, duplicate that exact thing. And, you know, some people like open up a cookbook and they want to make that thing and they'll go look for kefir limes or, or you know, something Whatever crazy, right? Um, and these were all great and made by like, great chefs, big cheese people. But what I want to do when we put our book out there is for people to say, like, use this kind of cheese. Here are some examples of this kind of cheese. And we're going to pair it with this, which happens to be sour. But there are other sour things you can do. So they're not just learning those two things by that brand name and that brand name go together. But this type of thing and this type of thing go together. This brings us full circle to our (gasps) earlier conversation because this is what you've done for Matt for years, right? Because (laughs) he doesn't totally understand. You said how to improvise or substitute. So you're like, okay, you're going to make this, but here's what I've brought you. Exactly. You're going to go with this. Now go ahead and make it. Right. But you're teaching and empowering people how to do that themselves. Yeah. I mean, to me, like the best art analogy for this is the color wheel. Um, there's so many things you can learn if you understand the color wheel and how it works and you don't need to really get past tertiary colors, you know, start with your primary colors, add the next ones. And then you start thinking about how to add shadow and how to, how to, um, change the feeling of a color, um, how they're going to mix, how you're going to avoid getting gray or brown, (laughs) um, if you understand that. So we look at cheese and flavor profiles and there, we have six flavor profiles and everybody knows them. It's sweet, spicy, sour, nutty, umami, and salty. So let's talk about the cheeses we've yes. eaten today. Yes. So the young manchego. Yes. That is salty. Well, so it it is salty, but it it actually it falls into our category of um, friendly and flexible cheeses, which includes cheddar and goudas, and it's like a really great category because it actually goes with all six of those flavor profiles. But it is salty, and so that's one of the reasons why it goes with salty, because, like, go together. Salty and sweet are kind of opposites, um, and so it goes with that. But then think of, like, think of it with spicy, right? So think of nachos, so salty um, chips with spicy salsa, so you know it's salty and spicy are going to go together. Um uh, think of salt and vinegar pickles. So it's going to go with something sour. So those flavor profiles are for the pairings. Really. They're for the pairings. Yeah. And so the cheeses fall into different categories. So you're saying friendly and flexible. Yep. Um, my favorite example is smooth and melty. So that category. So I didn't create the categories. I just gave them new branding. I gave them customer friendly names. So smooth and melty is in the industry called the cooked and pressed cheese. 
which means absolutely smooth nothing. Smooth and melty is way better than cooked and pressed. Right. Like smooth and melty, you probably can guess that's the fondue category of cheese. And that's right. the, that's Gruyere and Comte. Um, that's what you're going to put on your French onion soup and melt it. That's what you're going to put on your uh, gratin potatoes. That's what you're going to make your fondue with. Um, raclette. If you've seen the raclette videos out there, that's, those all fit into there. And they melt really nice because in the process of being made, they've been cooked and pressed. So however the chemical process of, of the proteins in there are like happy to be remelted again. They've been melted once and they're happy to do it again. So that's why they melt so nicely. Um, this is our friendly and flexible, bright and fresh, has chev in it. Um, and like a fresh farmer's cheese. Um, you like to make farmer's cheese, Mom. Mm. You've made it a couple times in your fridge. Nice. Why does that sound like an accusation? It's not an accusation. It's a discussion. Because <laughs> she was pointing at you and she did I it. I know yeah. you want to make the aged manchego in your refrigerator, which I don't agree with. Well, I will tell I you try. that ha I've been eating while you guys have been talking, <laughs> and I'm definitely preferring the aged. There's more mm. richness. There's mm -hmm. more... I don't know how to say it, sophistication, mm -hmm. because there are multiple things happening in your mouth. I feel like this is an ageist conversation for your own self-interest. That's right. The old <laughs> cheese is better than the right. new cheese. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. The other reason you like it and um, is because you're older. You have an older palate. And we find, mm -hmm. um, in the cheese world, not just my store, I can't claim this, that if somebody comes in who is um, older and they say isn't sharp enough or doesn't have much taste, we look for a saltier cheese to give them mm -hmm. because our, um, it's just our taste buds yeah. lose the ability to taste that. And so knowing that is great because you don't give them a cheese that has very little salt, very little taste because you're like, that is just going to taste horrible to you. Um, I mean, we all, I mean. This is all to say maybe you'll like chestnut honey. <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to like something that's probably got more salty more meat. You might just like those anyways, even when, when your palate was uh, younger. But we find that and it's really like, I mean, it really can start in the 40s, but we definitely have people like are really, um, are much older customers, older than you that come in, are, we really find really salty, really sharp. Um, on the edge of bitter, but it probably tastes exactly how the young one tastes to us. I don't think you and I are tasting that much difference between the, like, I don't think they're they're tasting that much different to me, but um, we do find that. However, um, I'm so much younger than both of you that clearly. You are such a baby. <laughs> I I like them both. Um, I find it fascinating. When, when something tastes like something else, like that tastes so much like sour cream. We once had... Um, Cabot cloth bound cheddar that came in and tasted like fried chicken to me. Like I love those things and it doesn't always come back and taste like that. The next batch it depends which cows we're milking and which the day it was and how much time out in the yard they were was. getting. It's exactly. Like, it's like um, the difference in wine from year to year. So if right. you get a 2011 exactly. batch versus a, you know, 2012 batch, they mm -hmm. can be enormously different. Just you cannot make the, the same was. except for one batch, like one whole batch will taste the same. But then even if, you're like, oh, I'll take one wheel now and one wheel in six months. That's now six months older. It won't taste the same. You cannot, unless you eat the same batch at the same time, replicate. Um, but that's part of cheese. why it's so important to understand mm -hmm. like what the flavor profiles are so that you do understand how to pair them. And right. I think I think this is one of the things that I talk about all the time with art um, when I say some of the really stuff that you think is boring. <laughs> well, I mean, cause it does seem like it like swatching. Oh my God, how boring is swatching or, you know, making color wheels every time you get a new set of paints and seeing how they mix and doing, 
you know, all those things. And it seems like insane to do that every time because it kind of feels like busy work. But in right. the end, it actually makes your job easier because you understand. Mm-hmm. And so then the material is not surprising to you. Yep. And I think the same thing true is here with the cheese, which is once you understand what it is that you're getting or what it is that you're choosing, yep. then it's like, it makes it so easy. Like, you know, you can whip together a cheese plate, I'm mm-hmm. sure now. And like, even if you went into like the crappiest grocery store on yep. earth, you'd be like, no problem. Five <laughs> minutes. I got this cheese plate challenge. Go. And it makes me think of chopped actually. Very much. Yeah. Because that to me is about deep knowledge. The mm-hmm. TV show. Yeah. The yes. TV show chopped. Because, so if you've never seen the TV show chopped, just the brief summary here, which is chefs are given these baskets of what seem to me as a lay person mm-hmm. to be completely random, disgusting yes. things like already cooked hamburger, caramel corn, pop rocks, yeah. you know, and miso. And you're like, what the hell is this going to be? Yeah. <laughs> and they're immediately like, go. And it's because they understand what the hamburger actually is. Where right. I'm staring at a hamburger patty, right. they're looking at it right, as something right, right. else. They understand like that the pop rocks, what are the ingredients? Like how is it going to actually affect Right. Can I dissolve the them and make them, it's a, it's a sugar yeah. and not a crunchy thing. Can I dissolve it? Can I take and toast the bread and then grind the bread and make the bread gr- bread crumbs. Can I like reverse yes. engineer what it was there? And I think so. like that's the 10,000 hour thing when they say yes. like to become an expert. And I think it's 10,000 hours. It's 10,000 hours to me of is eating about cheese. eating cheese. I'm willing to put in the okay. time. Um, is about deep knowledge. Yeah. And it's about once you understand your materials, once you have like that deep knowledge, once you can mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's even, I would say I've become a better cook mm-hmm. and I've noticed that now I can hear when like, Something's happening with the pot. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I'm across the room and I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound right. Yep. Whereas if you asked me two years ago, I would have been like, doo, 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 <laughs> you know, no difference whatsoever. You were the Swedish chef. Exactly. I was two the Swedish years ago. chef two years ago. Um, but yeah, so I think there's a lot of stuff like that yeah. where for me, just in doing the curd cast mm-hmm. with you and getting the curd box, yeah. like I am suddenly like, let me tell you something about mm-hmm. cheese because, yep. okay, so let's talk about when you get a curd box, yes. it has the three cheeses, Yep. it has the three pairings, yep. but it has some paraphernalia. Yeah. So the whole box is, first of all, all built around a theme. And if we can make it funny, even better. Um, there so, was the box where everybody got vampire teeth. That's for, right. That was, was the, the vampire, rebel- box, right? vampire repellent box. We did the hold my beer box. Um, we did um, honey, honey, honey. Which to me was a play on Abba's money, money, money. Um, oh, I was thinking, honey, honey. Oh, that one too. Um, so we have fun with them. February, we did a brunch box. Mm-hmm. Um, and what else you get with it is the rest of the story. That so, was the one with the bacon jam, right? Um, no, it wasn't. No. That one was, oh goodness, I think that one was in Hold My Beer. Fall into Cheese, I think that one was in. Okay. Um, bacon jam, by the way. Yes. Opposite of chestnut honey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder if you put that on durian. It would make it better. Um, so um, the what we're trying to do is tell a story in every box. So you do get more than just the six things to eat. You get um, a Spotify playlist. Our friend uh, Cheese Plate Mixtape, who is a local cheese lover and already was pairing cheese. She'd come and pick up a cheese and then pair it with a vinyl record. Not to right. eat, but to, like <laughs> listen to while she ate it. And it was really great. And I really love, like, she'd find some obscure stuff because it's vinyl. So you can find obscure stuff on vinyl. Um, and but I love this idea of like 
that the box, we're not just pairing food with right. food. It's like, here is a music playlist for you to put on exactly. while eat, that will match this cheese. The mood. So much fun. So, and, and kind of you think about the extras. I don't actually, I mean, to be fair, think somebody would actually, I hope they do, use all of the extras. This is really because I'm kind of trying to teach you stuff in a subversive kind of way and make you feel smarter about cheese so you can I can empower you to go out and buy more cheese wherever your local cheese um, is available but um so one is music one is just listening to music it's pretty easy to pop the Spotify playlist on and just eat cheese like that there's not even a lot of work involved in there um the next thing is we put together our podcast and um what I tell people when I tell people about our podcast is that um the best thing is I get to do it with my best friend because I talk to her like she's my best friend. And she is a foodie, but doesn't really know anything about cheese. Although I don't know how much longer that will last. Eventually, I'll have to find a new best friend. Eventually, I was going to say. tell new things about it. Okay, don't worry. I can be dumb. I promise. Okay, excellent. Um, and so, but you ask good questions and I can answer them to my friend. So my hope is that you're playing the role of everybody who's eating that box. And I'm talking to them like I care and and love that they're asking me these great questions. Um, and so that's the podcast. And I think some people listen to the podcast while they do it. I think some people get their box and they're like, I'm going to eat the box in like two days when it's Friday night and I'm going to have it for dinner. But they listen to the podcast before. Um, some people listen to the podcast after. It's a little more of a commitment to do that, but I'm always looking for a good podcast. So having something about what I'm eating, it was amazing for me of course me. we're hilariously we are funny so funny and you sing a lot more i do um and which then could be a negative or a positive <laughs> um we put in a pairing card which is essentially the same kind of information you'd get in our store it says it says a little bit about the cheese each cheese each pairing where it's made who makes it um the important stuff you need to know about it. is that raw milk or pasteurized milk and where and um and what wine it pairs with um and so that information is all in there. I kind of think of that as like the baseball card of the box. Um, we put a little sort of letter from the editor, which says, this is why we put this theme together. This is why February is brunch, because we like all these things and they really actually make sense as a box of cheese. Too. Because then again, gets back to education. Exactly. Because once again, you're telling people the logic behind mm -hmm. it so that they can think about what they're eating. I mean, yeah. one of the pairings that I think you're doing is is sort of, you're pairing eating with mindfulness. You, yep. you are really, it's about mindful eating. Yep. I'm thinking about this as I'm eating it. I'm mm -hmm. not just shoving it in my face. Right. Most of the time. Yeah. And you then, know, when you're making this box and editing its contents, you're actually, it's like editing your magazine. It is entirely. But you're having three-dimensional things. Really well, I was going to say, yeah. it's also like when you, the magazine all the time, you would find these artists and artisans mm -hmm. who you would want to showcase and mm -hmm. you would try to showcase them. And I think you do the same on the current cast. We've had interviews with farmers. Mm -hmm. We've had all sorts of things with people who are making the cheese yep. to really say, hey, let's showcase this product mm -hmm. and this company. Yep. I mean, I've learned about how they name their cows. Mm -hmm. and how they, I mean, there's lots of fun and interesting stuff there. Yeah, it really is. And then for the people who are visual learners or just want to see beyond what is in the box, we put together a very short, simple little video. It's got pictures of the of the makers, of the farms, of the factories. So, you know, it, it they're usually no more than, I don't think anything is more than a minute and a half, two minutes. And it's really just 
see where your food came from. I've never seen those on Instagram. Do you put them on YouTube? They're on YouTube. And mm -hmm. um, so in the little sort of letter from the editor, there's a link. Um, there's a special link so people can just type that into their phone or their computer and it'll take them exactly to a page that'll give them the Spotify, the video, all in one place. They don't have to go looking for us on YouTube, but they are on YouTube and, and everybody can get them. Um, our podcast you can subscribe to through pretty much all the places where you normally do podcasts. But you can also just go to our website, click on the button, and see all of them. And if people want the box, if they're yes. greedy and they want to eat the cheese with us, what Ugh. do they do? Oh, so right now, so until really through next month, you can only get the box if you live in the five New England state, New England states minus Maine. Um, but right now we're doing a Kickstarter so that we can take us national. So we are going nationwide um, through April 26th. So if you listen to this before April 26th, check out um, Kickstarter. Um, you can go to Kickstarter and just type in a search for curd box. Or I'll you... put a link in the show Okay, notes. great. So we'll give them a link. Um, and you can see where we've made, we've got rewards, which are essentially you subscribing to the box. So you can get a box just once. You can try it out. You can get a box with cute socks that are called How to Cut say, the Cheese I Socks. Got a, I bought a six-month subscription, mm -hmm. and I'm getting my socks. And yes. Steve and I will have to fight over them. Well, maybe we'll get Steve a special <laughs> pair if he'll do another if he'll do another curd cast with us. Um, we will even, for $500, bring an 80-pound wheel of Parmesan to your It's not 500. Place. It's an 80... It's, I'm sorry, $5,000. Did I say 500 Yeah, yeah sorry. Five, for $500 plus another... Uh, $4,500. For $5,000, we will bring a, an 80-pound block of Parmesan, wheel of Parmesan cheese. We'll do a cracking party for you. We'll bring some accoutrements. You can bring the Prosecco, and um, we'll send 80 people home with a pound of cheese. I don't really know if anybody needs to do that, but you can just get a box of cheese. Otherwise, um, you'll be able to just go to curdbox.com after starting in May, and it will ship anywhere in the country. Very exciting. So exciting. And they can hang out and listen to our podcast with I mean, us. who wouldn't want to listen? So Jen and I, very early on in the podcast, had a conversation in which I believe that we should smack our lips noisily and eat graphically and talk with our mouths full. And she is much more of a lady, having been raised in the Midwest and not by a mama wolf. Aww. So she was like, no, no, we should try to keep our faces away from the mics and eat demurely and quietly so no one is bothered by it. So what you will Wearing hear on gloves, the, exactly. no doubt. So what you'll hear on the podcast is Jen eating quietly and never talking with her <laughs> mouthful, and me being a complete garbage hero and just shoving food in my face, smacking my lips and talking about, oh, it's really good. I think we need to do an ASMR unboxing. We're <laughs> <laughs> like, this is the... Exactly. Who likes the soothing noise? Uh, anyway, so <laughs> what? I guess you. I guess I'll ask you this last question because yes. we've been talking for about an hour now. Um, which is what for you is like uh, the place where you can see your history mm. of what you've done as an artist and as an editor in chief, sort of in what you're doing now in those yeah. pairings and all that stuff. Well, I think I had to like go through everything to turn around and look at what I would really say I am as a storyteller um, when I. Did the magazine, I was a storyteller. When I wrote books, I was telling a story. It was maybe the story of how to do something. Um, every year we would plan out the whole magazine. It was like, what do we want to teach our readers for the year? And how do we break that up into 12 issues and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I went to the agency and I did storytelling. Um, and now I really do think I'm just telling the story of really great food in the box. We, we say that um, curd boxes for people who don't want to eat boring. Um, and 
it's not boring because not only does it not taste boring, but it's not a boring, it's an experience. So it's not just a box of food. It's it's story. an experience. It's a whole story. And I think actually this reminds me of, so we've been, I've been watching Project Runway. Mm, me too. I love Project Runway. E3. And I hate Project Runway at the same time, but I that's know. a separate We issue. should go on together. <laughs> I know, and We right? could totally win just because we, we just sing be, and we annoy everybody and they exactly. don't want to leave. Like, we're really annoying. Get away from us. <laughs> um, you know, the anyway. really annoying ones last a long time. They do. Because they're they're our producers good. keep them on I just know, to create some Trust me, actually, we can be really annoying. Anyway, but so what I was going to say is what I noticed is they do much better when they tell a story with their collection. Yes. When they're able to tell a story about who the woman mm-hmm. is, who the who who is it that they're dressing, yeah. all that stuff. And I think the same thing is true, like abstract work, you know, or even realistic work. Like, can you tell the story? I know, Mom, a lot of the working art in, in your house, you know, when I look at it, you have liked it because there's a story. There's that half-open door. It's the, mm-hmm. you know, light in the house that makes you wonder what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's that there is a, there is something. There's, There's like a, a tension there. of yes. wanting to know more. Yeah. And I think that there is something about when you do sort of anything in life that there should be a story. I know there are people who put together meals that have a story, like mm-hmm. how this leads into that and da 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 da. Oh, yeah. And I think there is something so lovely about thinking about um, being able to constantly, because I think a story is a gift, mm-hmm. right? Because there is nothing, like, when you tell a story to a child, when you do something like that, like, that's that's a that's a moment. That's a gift yeah. that you're giving to somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's something they take with them. And so the same thing is true here. I really yeah. like that idea. Yeah. I will say your artistic background comes in definitely in terms of the arrangement of the <laughs> food on the board or the platter. Because I've had some incredible food mm-hmm. but it was arranged mm-hmm. in such a way that I almost felt like I shouldn't touch it because it was so beautiful <laughs> like a Dutch still life you know what I mean you know it, it does Dutch. lend itself to um painting with food I uh because I don't get to make art really much anymore um the traditional paint and canvas type um oh, I maybe I was go in, um Fish's Eddie in New York and they had paint palette um cheese plates <gasps> Really? They did. They're just, to go they're just plain white ceramic, like, yep. you know, with a hole in the shape. And I was like, oh, it's the art of cheese. That's so great. Yeah. I, I, we teach a, um, art of the cheese plate, how to like sort of cut it up. And we're like, you can just cut it into cubes and stick a toothpick and in stick it. A toothpick <laughs> in it. But we eat with our eyes. And don't you think it tastes better when you care about what it looks like? I, I think it does. Yeah. Also, cheese is not cheap. Good cheese is not cheap. So, you know, if you if you can savor it with the story, you don't need six pounds of shredded bag of cheddar. Right. You can enjoy every single bite of this. Um, it's beauty. The time it takes to pick it up, the decision of what you're going to pick next off the plate, it, it's, um, it's thoughtful. It is mindful. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Great way to put it. Anything else you want to add, Mom? Is there a place for cheese whiz? In this story, um, I'm sorry. There is always a place for cheese whiz. <laughs> That's the Midwestern girl in her family. <laughs> always cheese whiz. So, Jen, if people want to follow you or yes. find you, where can they do that? So they can follow us at Curdbox and at Curds and Co. Um, everywhere we use that handle, you can find us. The Curds and Co. is the and written out. Correct. Yes, which you'll find out if you forget because if you do an ampersand, it won't show up. So, Perfect. Yes. Okay. And as always, you can find me at balzerzines.typepad.com. 
Um, you can find me on Instagram as Balser Designs and do leave us your comments or questions. We love to hear from you. And if you order a curd box, let me know because I'd love to know who's out there eating them curds and whey. Um, and in the meantime, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. Bye.